I'm Paul Wiegraf, Director of the Delaware Division of the Arts, and your host for today. In the studio with me are two local musicians who are known together jointly as Sparks. Our flutist, or flautist, which you go by, Joan. Flutist. Flutist, Joan Sparks, and harps, harpist, Ann Sullivan. I almost said harpsichordist, but <laughs> oh, dear, no. you took the harp out of the harpsichord. <laughs> That's right, exactly. It's the best part, anyway. Welcome, both of you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank Two you. institutions in the Wilmington music community. Gosh, um, I feel ancient. <laughs> Is, is I that am good or bad? agent. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't mean, I wasn't referring to age, just very well established in the Wilmington community. It's great having you both with us to talk about Sparks and the music that you're doing together and the, the music you're doing as individual musicians. So thank you for joining us. Uh, Joan, let's hear a little bit about Sparks as, as an ensemble, as a duo. Well, we started uh, working together in 1986 uh, when we both realized that we had a lot in common. We were both members of the Delaware Symphony at that point, and we were called to play um, a, a job at a restaurant. And we ended up having so much fun, we thought, well, let's do this. So we began just by doing um, church concerts and concerts in, around town and, and that kind of thing. And um, along the way, we were quite fortunate to be awarded a Chamber Music America residency grant. Hmm. And in that grant, we combined residencies with a retirement community, Peninsula United Methodist homes, but I don't think they're that anymore. And then also the Tattnall School. So we had this wonderful opportunity to combine um, diverse populations in terms of age anyway. And so we would do concerts at the retirement communities with the kids. And and also, we actually once taught a math class. I thought that was fascinating. We did. Mm -hmm. did. (laughs) And another thing we would do is go to the other PUMH communities at the time and do like a one-day residency there and um, have a day full of activities with with the uh, with all the folks there. And then when there was the economic downturn, uh, both of those residencies had to be stopped for economic reasons. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. since then, Anne has moved to State College, and we have some logistics challenges, but um, we're looking forward to very much this opportunity of presenting these concerts at the Church of the Holy City as a way to relaunch the duo and and um, and get going again with even more concertizing. Now, what does your performance schedule look like over the span of, say, a year? Because you've been together for a while now. Well, I would say that our performance schedule has really changed. When we were um, living in the same state, <laughs> things were a little bit different, and we had uh, we've almost always had a three-concert series that we self-produced. And we did cabaret concerts for quite a while, and um, as well as more traditional sorts of concerts. And then, of course, we'd have other concerts that we performed that were not self-produced but were presented by somebody else. Um, when, when my family made our move to central Pennsylvania, and uh, I sort of took off on a slightly different, um, slightly different tack for my own playing, and Joan got very busy with her flute pro shop. So we have spent quite a bit of time sort of nurturing separate businesses and, and keeping our fingers in the, the flute and harp duo world. And we're sort of ready. I think we're established enough in these separate ventures that we're ready to uh, to get working together again. So. Now, I, I'm intrigued because I, you meant now that you're living up toward, near State College, as, as I was driving here to the studio, I was thinking about the... the um, the the portability 
of of your instrument. Um, could you speak to that? I mean, I, I I'm always intrigued by that because I've performed with with harpists uh, through musical theater and. And it's uh, it's always a question I've had in my mind. It's you don't just stick it in your back pocket and go somewhere. No, you don't. Um, on the other, well, the the portability issue really has two sides. The harp portability is difficult. I mean, you've got to have a car big enough to transport it. You have to have a special cart so that you can wheel it around, and you have to be able to maneuver it. Hopefully, you can maneuver it yourself because a harpist who has to depend on help um, doesn't get in and out very quickly. And I value speed. So I, I learned to move the heart myself. Um, and so I can drive it anywhere. The downside, of course, is that it's bulky and it's awkward. And it would be so much nicer just to have a small little case to carry with me. On the other hand, because the harp is portable, it's not as restrictive as a piano. Because we can play lots of places. And Joan and I have done this many, many times over our joint career. Play many places that a piano just cannot go, specifically because we can take the harp with us. That leads me to my next question, and that is the variety of venues that you've performed in over the years. Wow. Well, there have been quite a few. (laughs) Let's see which ones you remember, (laughs) Joan. I'm remembering the one in um, Asbury, New Jersey, Asbury Park, New Jersey, Uh, that big, fabulous um, wooden hall that was designed for revival meetings. Um, Oh, you're thinking about Ocean Grove. Ocean Grove, yes. Ocean Grove, we did a concert with Gordon Turk, the organist, at Ocean Grove. And that is a fabulous, fabulous facility, yeah. And I had the bright idea. (laughs) <laughs> of playing syrinx from the top balcony in the darkened theater. Mm. Syrinx mm-hmm. is a flute solo piece. Okay. It's about three and a half minutes long, but I had to run up three flights of stairs <laughs> and then play the piece. <laughs> so the phrases were a little bit shorter than they typically are. It was very atmospheric. It was really good. Mm-hmm. It was kind of fun. It shocked the audience. What ones do you remember? Well, Anne? I was thinking about one time, this was pretty early on in our working together, and we had been asked to play an outdoor wedding that was in a state park and the we had not been bright enough to really hone in on this alternative plans in case of bad weather sort of thing and so we ended up playing in the drizzle under the tailgate of my car and <sighs> and put and a couple of umbrellas and whisking the instruments into the car as soon as we were finished playing that's right i remember that well it was miserable and i remember yeah. also the lawn the grass it was at a frisbee <laughs> Frisbee park kind of a That's thing. Right. Frisbee, Frisbee golf. golf. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the grass was very long and the very guests long. had a tough time negotiating. Oh, that was memorable. We were on, <laughs> we were on a gravel road, actually. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was yeah. quite an interesting Because well, that's where we could get the car, mm-hmm. and we weren't moving very far from the car. As no, <laughs> yeah. definitely not. Now, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. A, a flute-harp combination has quite a different acoustic to, say, a brass band or a... a of of a set of uh, bagpipes outdoors. How how does how does the flute and harp carry in the outdoors or in a larger performance space? Better than you think. Yeah, yeah. Speaking um, from the flutist perspective, um, we are, we work our whole lives to produce a sound that will be able to be heard in the back row, mm-hmm. and so um, we know how to how to um, amplify our sound, certainly to, to not this, 
extent of a brass band. Right. But I remember one of the best compliments we ever got was in Olean, New York, where a gentleman- <laughs> where my father grew up. Oh, okay. really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. A marvelous church there with yeah. excellent Beautiful. acoustics. Yeah. And a young man came up and he said, I am in a drum and bugle corps, and I never expected to be moved mm. by flute and harp. Mm. That was one of my favorite compliments of all time. <laughs> it's a great one. And, and of course, you know, from the harpist perspective, um, that's why we have a big instrument ah. so that it can be heard. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's really partly why we're there. And of course, when we were running our um, our summer camp for flutists and harp students, we um, would often take them to the Blue Rocks baseball game to play the Star Spangled Banner. Mm-hmm. And so that was never an issue there, our volume either. So we'd have, you know, a dozen flutists and a few harpists trot out on the field, um, play the banner, and get off before the pitcher started throwing the ball. Barely. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was close a couple of times. It's a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Now, having having performed with, with flutes and with harps, I, I see the preparation that goes into just getting ready for the performance once you're in the space. But I suspect a lot of our listeners are not aware, especially with the harp, of what you have to do once that harp is in place, in location, in terms of tuning and, and all of that. Could, could you speak to that? Because it, it really, I mean, it's, I think it's fascinating. Well, it is. I have, I'll get there by way of a short story. I, I just played a concert. Um, it was the retirement concert for a conductor who was leaving his post with the orchestra. And um, he was, I was at the hall early because I get there early and I was setting up and I was tuning and making sure that I was in a good, good, comfortable spot. And while I was doing this, he was walking around moving stands, moving chairs, getting everything set. And he looked at me, he said, I've been doing this for 56 years. And that thought flashed through my mind, does he mean conducting or moving chairs? <laughs> and it's kind of like the harp because it's the same thing. You know, I, I spend a lot of time tuning the harp. I spend a lot of time moving the harp so that I can spend a lot of time playing the harp. Mm-hmm. So it's all logistics. And, of course, the harp is affected by the weather. It's affected by temperature, by humidity. Um if you haven't played it enough, it, it likes to have a little temper tantrum and let you know that you have been neglecting it. And, um, it, you know, if somebody looks at it cross-eyed, it can go out of tune and you just get used to that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the old Igor Stravinsky quote that said, harpists spend 50% of their time tuning and the other 50% playing out of tune. <laughs> Regrettable, <laughs> but true. <laughs> Well, I uh, I have much more to pursue here, but let me first remind our listeners that you tune, you're tuned into Delaware State of the Arts here on News Radio 1450 WILM and 1410 WDOV. Our guests in the studio today are Joan Sparks and Ann Sullivan with the Sparks Duo. We were talking about performing and and getting ready for performances. Um, as professional musicians, how how much time do you spend practicing individually? And how much time do you as a duo spend, you know, practicing together? Well, for myself, in order to maintain my technique and also to maintain the breathing, I need to practice about an hour a day just to maintain. And that's Mm -hmm. typically long tone scales, all that kind of stuff. And then on top of that, any repertoire I'm learning. Um, I don't always do that, but I make a real big effort to do so. And especially as... As one matures, one's breathing changes. And so if I miss more than one day, I really have to do something to make up for it. Um, 
I think harp players have a whole different set of circumstances. Well, sort of. And it's a lot the same. You just have to maintain the technique. And that takes, you know, an hour a day is really nice to be able to maintain the technique. Um, I can do it in less time if I have to. Um, I heard a great quote from the violinist Pamela Frank the other day. Somebody asked her about practice and she said, well, you really need an hour a day because what you need to practice is just the stuff that you can't do. And that's pretty much pretty mm-hmm. much true. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you keep your technique in shape and then you practice the stuff you can't do, then everything else gets easier and you mm-hmm. can just kind of play through the rest of it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I love a day when I have three hours to practice because I always feel really, really good. But I don't always get those days. So, you know, it, if I have an hour... I'm going to be prepared. If I have two hours, I'm going to be comfortable. Um, three hours is a luxury. So, And for us, part of what's great about our long association is that um, many things that you might have to work out with in another ensemble or another duo, we don't have to work out because there's so much that's unsaid and understood. For instance, when we talk about tuning, I pretty much, if if there's a weather change or if somebody opens a door at the wrong time or if the the air conditioning gets turned on Mm -hmm. in the middle of a performance, I kind of know which notes are going to go out first. Mm -hmm. And I know to make little adjustments for things like Mm -hmm. that. It's Mm -hmm. not always the same, but that's just a tiny little example of, of the intuitive um, music making that we do because we've been doing this for so long so that, um, we, we have freaked out actually mm-hmm. violas. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> this is true because we don't tune anymore to each other. Okay. I know where Anne is going to tune the harp. I know where that mark is on the head joint of my flute mm-hmm. and I just set the flute there and we go yeah. and <laughs> you yeah, bring somebody else into the group and they're, they're <laughs> <laughs> we forget, we yeah. forget sometimes that we take these things for granted, but it's really, it's, it's a lot like any other two friends. If you hang out long enough, you finish each other's sentences, you know the you know you've got the the stories and the jokes in common and it's the same way in in music making we know how certain things are gonna go even Mm -hmm. if it's a piece we haven't really played before it's pretty easy to explore it from a joint perspective instead of just our individual ones Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. well and unlike today (laughs) frequently frequently we will show up in the same colors Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, or the same style or same. This today is, is yeah. sort of different. Uh-huh. But, yeah. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Now, have you found over time, uh, assuming you've you've bu- you continue to build a repertoire, have you found over time that there are pieces that you've played that just are no longer of interest to you to play uh, as as you work with your repertoire? Uh, it builds. Does and well, are there pieces yeah. that you sort of drop out? You well. know, that's interesting. That's that's kind of a reverse question of the one we usually get, which would be more along the lines of, you know, what are your favorite pieces that you come back to? So pieces that we drop out, I think there are some. I, there are some certainly that have fit in the category of we've tried this a number of times and it still doesn't work, so right. it's just not coming back. And right. there certainly are some of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really um, – there are so many that we learned early on that just – fit that fit the two of us and um fit the duo together uh, it's interesting that i think we have a really large um set of standards you mm-hmm. might say mm-hmm. you know and standards big for variety oh, i yeah. mean from every stylistic uh western music era we have we have wonderful examples and as a matter of fact um moving forward in 2016 uh we'll have a new piece by daniel dorf yep. uh, that that we've asked him for a 
a large work, multi-movement, mm-hmm. um, lots of variety, and um, his music is just developing and is just absolutely fascinating. A lot of top flutists actually are playing his music. Mm-hmm. And um, as we look forward to that commission, we're also going to be featuring other works we've commissioned. We commissioned a sonata from Loa Lieberman and then a wonderful work from Chuck Holteman, uh, oh. who's... Mm-hmm. Local composer. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So uh, commissioning is a really fun, sometimes scary thing to do. <laughs> but um, the whole process is so fascinating because you share in the creation of a new work. Mm-hmm. Well, let, let's hear about some of the, the upcoming events and activities that you're both uh, looking forward to. Well, we uh, next season are looking at some fascinating works. There's a Is it Robert Patterson work? Yeah, the, yep. We're looking that the Robert Patterson work we're considering is actually a multimedia thing. And I don't want to give too much away until we have some of these pieces in place, but um, it would involve other musicians and perhaps dance and a few other things. So we're looking at, uh, we're looking into that. I think it's, it's going to be fun, but as I say, we have some pieces to put in place yet. So, and we're going to be doing a concert next fall that has, that is also a collaborative concert. So we have those plans in the works. They're not 100% firmed up yet, but that's what we're working on. And then we have, we're working on, at the same time, we're working on the plans for the seasons following that, where we have sort of showcased the works that we've already commissioned, and then we'll have the new work by Daniel Dorf. So we have that coming up. And we're grateful to have a new home. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Church of the Holy City, uh, which is also known as the Swedenborgian Church, um, has welcomed us into their beautiful space. It is a marvelous acoustic. The church is made of stone and wood. And so you can imagine the the sound in there is just absolutely wonderful. And um, the address of that church is 1118 North Broom Street. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where our concerts are going to be for the next few seasons anyway. And the other ensemble that performs there, of course, is the Copeland String Quartet. Mm-hmm. And um, they have a, a marvelous following and a, and a yeah. quite a lovely series as well. So they're, they're opening their doors to, to musical offerings, and it's wonderful for us. Mm-hmm. That's great. Now, performing artists, in addition to being performing artists, also have to be entrepreneurs, uh, and I've I've sometimes heard the profession of the performing artist as that of constantly cobbling together work or jobs. Could could you speak to the business or entrepreneurial side of what you do? Well, sure. And actually, I uh, let's see. In two thousand and eight, I began a business called Flute Pro Shop, and we've grown wonderfully. So we now do business internationally. Uh, we have one of the best. Um, repair techs in the country working with me. He's my business partner and um, a couple other people on the staff and um, flutes come to us for repair from all over the United States and Canada. And we have sold instruments as far away as Malaysia, Japan. There's one in Berlin right now. So, you know, we're, we've really expanded and that grew out of my intense interest as to how the flute works. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I had studied repair myself. And I, um, when um, this all started was when I started a working with a head joint maker in Boston. And then it just sort of grew from there. So um, before that, I had a, 
a very large teaching studio, and I did freelancing in the area. Um, and then when Anne and I were very, very busy, that that at that point was the focus of my work combined mm-hmm. with teaching. Mm-hmm. But we all, yeah, we all um, uh, take whatever we can <laughs> and work with it and make that schedule work. And, mm-hmm. and that's, unless you ha- are one of the rare people that have a job in a major symphony orchestra, or you have a large teaching studio at a university, that's what a musician does is, mm-hmm. is put things together. So a career works for me, I would be so unhappy stuck in the same job all the time. Mm-hmm. I need this variety. I thrive on it. Mm-hmm. Well, Joan, I think you just said something really interesting about, um, about how you came to the work that you're doing now with the flute pro shop. Um, I think that young musicians, uh, who want to perform, do exactly what you said. They they take everything, and I think that's the right thing to do because it's it takes you quite a while to figure out where you're going to land, where you want to land. Absolutely. Do you really mm-hmm. want to land in an orchestra job? Do you really want to uh, pursue concerts as the major focus? Do you really want teaching to be your major focus? Or in your case, you were so interested in how the flute worked, and and you know. Let's face it, the accessorizing of the flute, I oh, think, is yes. also part of that. And, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so that, that led you in a direction that I don't think you would have contemplated, you know, in, in earlier years. I think that, that that's part of what we do. We find a particular interest that makes it not just a day gig the way we would talk about it often, but makes it really a meaningful pursuit in addition to performance. And Absolutely. in the 20 seconds we have left, hmm. uh, how can people find out more information about Sparks? Well, they can go to my website at fluteproshop.com and also Anne's website, which is harpmastery.com. And there is a dedicated page to um, Sparks on the Flute Pro Shop. Or you can find us on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Facebook Sparks Flute and Harp Duo. Mm-hmm. That's the easy way to get to us and you can get to either of the websites from there. Well, Joan Sparks and Ann Sullivan, it's been a delight having you in the studio today and hearing about all the great work that you're doing for the arts. Oh, thank, thank you very you, much. Oh, thank you, Paul. It's been our, our pleasure. Thanks, Paul.